0: I think a lot of business people, we're intellectually stimulated to want more or to want to grow our idea of how much we have or our net worth. These kinds of terms can be very misleading and it can put people on a chase where you're, you're trying to become more from a place of like basically scarcity sometimes, right? More is gonna be better and it doesn't always work that way.
1: Welcome to the Painter Growth Podcast where we help you scale your painting company in record time. Join us as we explore sales, marketing, hiring, finances, leadership, and more, everything that you need to know to scale and grow your painting business. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Painter Growth Podcast. I am your host, as usual, Michael Hickman, founder of PainterGrowth.com, and today I have a longtime friend of mine. I have known Brad Samuels for going on 12 years. Um, when we we're little kids running around neighborhoods painting houses and uh, now we're on our own journeys brad is on has been on a wonderful journey been following him along um, building up color craft painting embracing spirituality embracing psychedelics using his business as a passive income vehicle to live the life that he wants and uh, brad stoked to chat with you today i am stoked to be here buddy what an yeah. intro, hey. <laughs> what, what what an <laughs> intro. Met, met
0: you running around painting houses when we were kids.
1: Yeah. So so let's uh let's talk about that the origin story, man. How did you how did you get into painting and how did you eventually uh decide to to stay in painting and make it uh you know a passive income vehicle?
0: Well, um i was in business i got recruited just the same as you when we were kids we got recruited into the uh, the student painting world um which is essentially a business training for kids for students model that's it's a it's using the vehicle painting as a way to teach business skills and i got recruited
1: you? you?
0: Uh, i got recruited by igor or sandra her name was sandra
1: sandra okay yeah i got recruited by danny
0: so. and then igor became my coach later and like nice. james james was the first person who interviewed me
1: yep and anyone who knows bta these names uh should ring a bell yeah jim <laughs> james and igor are founders of bta uh and da- no danny 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 but, but danny
0: didn't interview me no
1: yeah. no no danny and igor yeah anyway all good <laughs> so let's let's keep rolling uh so yeah i
0: went to, i went to new I started in university. I was in finance. That was my background. And then to pay for school, I got recruited into this opportunity that could help pay for school. And being in business school, learning business through this vehicle was a great opportunity. And we had a really good community. I think I learned like the basics of franchising to that point, which is like community, which is what you're doing here, Mike. Community, how valuable that is, uh, having a process and a system to follow. And having a coach these are like three pillars that make franchising work or what you're doing even right now a system a coach
1: and a community yeah it's cool how impactful those those, you know student painting the painting industry kind of looks down on student painting because it's like oh you're getting kids in a painting but really it's a it's a development vehicle to teach people teach kids business and it brings a lot of great talent into the painting world that who otherwise would never have been in the painting world
0: yeah exactly uh but over the years like it's such a simple business it doesn't change that's one of the things that's interesting about painting is like once you know the fundamentals like it's really not going to get disrupted too much even with ai and all sorts of stuff like it's going to be pretty much the same in about 10 years for like for the on a holistic overview
1: yeah software um, changes products change but like that's about it that's about it right
0: it's it's like one of the least complicated things so all you can really do is focus on the fundamentals and That's all you really need to do, to be honest, because it's a high gross margin, gross profit business. And if you're wise with money, that's how that's how it went for me is that I just started because I was paying royalties when I was a franchisee for such a long time. Once I stopped having to pay royalties, I just kept on taking royalties for myself and started to buy investments and assets and other passive vehicles, dividend stocks, all that
1: kind of stuff. Yeah. So so you would you run a painting business, but I don't feel like you would classify yourself as a painter. I am not a painter. Although I bet you I could paint a
0: house pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. probably. Um, but I bet you could train people to paint a house a little better.
0: Uh yeah, I mean I, I can I, I used to paint when I was I guess twenty eleven and twenty twelve I painted for a couple
1: seasons. Mm, okay. Or, or, so or know, maybe you know twenty maybe
0: maybe twenty ten actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you learned business, uh, specifically the painting business, going through yeah. student painting uh, group, College Pro, which was you know, great. I was there too with you, different province. Yeah. And then uh, you decide, once, once you kind of finished your tenure with College Pro, you decided to stay in the painting industry and, and you started your own thing. Well, that. actually, actually, no, that's not I, I finished with painting
0: and I, I left and I went and started another home service company called Shackshine, which is now a 30 million, 40 million dollar house detailing company. Mm. So I was the first investor and franchisee in that company. Uh, I bought up all the original franchises at, like for nothing because there was nothing, basically. And that's when I learned how to build systems. Uh, and I worked with Igor and helped him and, as he was developing the operations manual. So we need
1: to we work ne- with pretty high-level people doing that.
0: Yeah, and we needed to test everything before you can uh, set it in stone as an SOP, right? So you got to test it, make sure it's the correct SOP for your V1 operations manual. And then it becomes a working ongoing process forever, really. Yeah. What are the best SOPs for the industry. Um, but we built StackShine. I did that for like four or five years and then we got bought out by a larger company. And then I basically cashed out and uh kind of decided to, re- like, it's like a mini retirement, I guess, for the Tim Ferris fans. Uh, and I just went rock climbing for several years, for like, at least a year, not several years, sorry, several months, almost a year. And I got, uh, yeah, I lived that dream out. And then I realized that I, I missed building things. So you
1: live in Squamish, right? I live in Squamish. Yeah, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, Squamish is one of the most beautiful cities in North America, this chief, yeah. just the, always the ever-present mountain overshadowing the whole, uh, the whole hamlet. <laughs> um, yeah, I love the rock, the chief. rock
0: climbers paradise. It's
1: yeah, great. I love the, I love the power that the chief just like holds when you're in Squamish. Just like it's everywhere. You always see it, no matter where you are, and it's just so big, so powerful. So, yeah, um, so that's that's great. So you got bored rock climbing, living like the life that when you were a kid, you were like, I wish I could just rock climb all day and not have to worry about money. You got to that point. You sold some businesses, sold some franchises. Now you're rock climbing all day. You don't have to worry about money. Why wasn't it all that you thought it would be cracked up to be? Honestly, I just missed business.
0: I I like it, right? Like I like, you know, once you start – Like I like investing. I like business. Uh, My background's finance, so I think once you get a little more uh, comfortable in whatever the hell your industry is, uh, eventually you need to learn how to allocate money. Because if you're profitable at your painting business, for anyone who's a painter watching this, part of if I had to give you the whole financial finance equation, it's where does money come from, and then once you have money, where do you put money? That's that's pretty much finance in a nutshell.
1: And so that's you get like money from that. value equation, right? Providing more value than you ask. Yeah. And that's where like gross profit comes from. I don't yep. know if I did that exactly right. And then it's like, okay, hey, gross profit, you pay off your bills, you pay off your painters, you pay off your, your gasoline, your insurance, your, you know, other things there. Now you have net profit. Yeah. Um, you pay your salary out of your net profit. And then whatever you have left over now. That's your- like,
0: that's your retained earnings and the yeah. retained earnings it, you either have to reinvest it effectively within your own company and if you don't have anywhere to put the money, you have to allocate it el- elsewhere and buy other things.
1: Mm, some people just sit on that money, right It's comfort it's comforting to to grow that grow that nest egg but uh, but beyond a certain amount, it, it does become counterproductive.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially right now in the last two years, because you see it getting eaten by inflation. So eventually, I had to like really start studying and understanding how uh, how to assess, how to read balance sheets, how to read income statements, so that I could buy other companies who who knew how to grow money, right? Mm-hmm. So then, and I, I'm interested in doing that stuff. So, but that's essentially what happens. You either have to you let it sit in cash, and you everything you just earned slowly dissolves away if you do that for a whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe a year here and there—that's fine if that's the right play. But that's not a good lifetime
1: strategy. Yeah, you need you need your money to be making money. That's why you you know they say you need money to make money. Well, that's partly true. Or takes money to what is it? Takes money to make money? How does it takes?
0: Go? That's that's the myth that it takes yeah. money to make money.
1: Yeah, but you need your money to make money for you, or else it's going to wither away through inflation. Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> inflation and fees you got to be smart i think yeah at some level so so you you've been rock climbing for you know whatever how many however many months and you're like let's get back into the game so what uh i went to go
0: i went to go see grant cardone
1: okay (laughs) which is like exactly on the same level as you right
0: (laughs) yeah right no i went to his conference and then i got stoked and then covid hit and i was like i'm you know what i'm not doing anything i'll just start something else
1: okay so you started uh what is now colorcraft I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you, what did you learn in Shackshine shine um, about systems and processes that made it uh, a lot easier to go into? And uh, so just for those listening in uh, uh, color craft is uh, Brad's franchise painting franchise that he started. And now you have five operators, six operators. No, we have four, four operators. Okay. Yeah. So we have four operators, but uh, how did, but systems are obviously super important in order to get to that point. So what happened, uh, what did you learn from Shackshine that allowed you to kind of step into that more easily? Um, I think it's just to think think
0: thoroughly through what the best systems are for each part and then trust them. And like, that's kind of it. It's like trust once you've, you've decided on something, just let this rest in that. So it's like, this is just how we do things, right? Like- and then if, and it, being open to suggestions for adjustments to the systems, but it's like, it makes it less like about what I feel and this and that. It's just like, this is how this is done. And then you can hold people accountable to that system. Um, that's, that's what I'd like about it. It's like, okay, this is, this is the operating procedure for this area. There's a write up about it. And in some cases there's a video about it. And it leverages my time so that I'm not, uh, and I'm, not, and I'm giving everyone the same information, right? If I hire someone, I'm not giving this person different information than this one. It's just the system's always the same. So there's, no, there's less communication errors.
1: So what was the mindset and strategy um, that you had when you went into starting up ColorCraft? Um, the first things I did, the
0: mindset was just like, I needed to, the, the first mindset was like, this is a simple business. There's not much to it. So to systemize it and operationalize it in that way is not, like, very difficult. Um, so actually, the very first thing I did when I started the company was just write all the employment agreements. These are all the rules, the and then I just filled those rules.
1: Because you, you approach the business not from a – like, most people, when they start a painting company, they bootstrap it. Right you paint by yourself i didn't yeah, until I didn't have that. money, and then you hire a painter and then you hire a couple of painters, and you're still working all the time. You didn't bootstrap, but you started with a team yeah,
0: yeah, I didn't bootstrap, but there's not much overhead though, right like mm-hmm. even i I mean I did kind of have a little bit more overhead i started i went the first th- the other thing I did right away is I went and bought a sprinter van and did all the branding immediately um because I wanted to be excited about what I'm doing i have it, like the biggest asset when you're starting is that you're stoked so i needed something that i would feel really good about um so i bought like a sixty thousand dollars sprinter and then did a photo shoot with my brother put a really cute girl on the side with me and we wrapped the vehicles and then it felt legitimate and cool
1: build a cool brand and and it looked legitimate too
0: and it looked legitimate right away so people thought like think that you've been in business for a long time i did the wet we did the website really nice right away and then it just feels good. And when you feel good, you work harder and you're proud of it, I guess. Yeah. So,
1: so you, you know, you obviously didn't, I wouldn't, I don't imagine that you bought the Sprinter van cash. You, you, uh, financed it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you put, I put something down, then you finance it. So,
1: so just, just running the economics here. So you put, you know, 20,000 down plus you, you know, maybe put five grand into a website and your branding and your photo shoot. So you're maybe 30,000 in, Plus you're yeah. some hires, you know, that you maybe float for a month, but yeah. you know, all in probably less than like what, like 80,000
0: less yeah. probably 50, 60. Yeah. So you're more like 60 K 40 upfront co- like cost. And I borrowed the whole, I had money and I still borrowed the money. <laughs> yeah. So you just leverage the whole thing. Um, and then you have about 20 K of networking capital, just cash in your bank account. And then one thing that's really nice about painting is that like if you buy a really nice sprinter like I did, one van can service like five crews. So that's like 15 employees for one sprinter van. So if you divide it out, you can actually like see the overhead per employee. Whereas with my old business, like one van. So we had sprinter vans as well. One van for two cleaning technicians because it was a cleaning company. So if you want to hire two new people, you have to buy another van. Yeah. Yeah. Painting's not like that because we don't need the van to sit in front of the driveway the whole time for like a week. Yeah. It just exactly. has to move stuff away. And that and that's if you're using an employee model.
1: Yeah. I like thinking about that that way. I mean, overhead per employee, it makes it a lot more digestible. Overhead
0: per employee. Like that's, it can be a good number to look at.
1: And like think about that feeling, like pulling up in a in a brand new Sprinter van with a fresh wrap. You got your branded clothing. You pull up to the homeowner's house. You got your branded clipboard and, you know, collared shirt with the logo on it. Versus yeah. like pulling up an old, you know, jalopy, rusted out Astro van with a magnet sign and a, you know, ladder half hanging off, like painter's painter whites, you know, that you've been wearing for six months. It's just completely different mindset. It's just different. It just feels it's, different. It's just different for everyone, for the homeowner too. Like, yeah. oh, this is a professional organization and, and uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I trust them because they look clean. So they're gonna treat my home cleanly. Well, and you
0: charge more. I'm the most
1: expensive. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> the, you charge more. I, I'm the most expensive,
0: so I bid the highest, which means I earn the most. I can pay the guys the more.
1: Yeah. So you invested in looking really professionally, got all that set up, plus your um, your team, which was yeah, not not all upfront, which is you know over time. But I think the reason why you were able to do this so confidently is because you knew how to get work. You knew that the contracts would come. Um, and you're not, you weren't like hoping, right. You had systems in place to get, to get work on demand. I live in Vancouver.
0: So yeah, the, the people, there's money and then you just hire professional. So put your whole sales pitch at that point is we hire professional painters. So, so you can afford to hire professional painters, not mm-hmm. amateur painters.
1: Yep. And I mean, I know, I know people and yeah. I know painters in Vancouver that, that can't find work. Right. So just because there's money there doesn't, doesn't automatically mean that you know how to find work. So, what were the strategies that you initially utilized to, to, to get work that you knew were going to work?
0: Uh, the, the most tried and true in the, for anyone starting is just door to door. The numbers all e- they add up easily. Um, you know, it's been the same basically for over a decade, as far as I can see. Like, one person going knocks on like 30, 40 doors an hour. They'll talk to about 10 people. They'll book one estimate. That's it. That's pretty much the thing. So if you need 20 estimates, then you just do the math and divide it out.
1: And And that's how how people would rather do Facebook ads and spend 10, 10 times as much on leads versus just doing that.
0: Yeah. People are lazy though. We're all lazy. Like Mm -hmm. everybody, including me.
1: (laughs) Well, humans are naturally lazy. If we weren't lazy, we would never have created the remote control for your TV. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's right yeah that, that's right um but yeah I, I mean even when i was running shack shine um it took me two years to get the conversions to anywhere that's even reasonable at all with my online stuff i never got it close to door to my door-to-door effort mm-hmm. but facebook is more and google are more scalable that's the other side they can are they,
1: be are they I, uh I I mean, don't that's, know. Argu- that's that's arguable right like it is arguable.
0: Be, you could just be a master of, of managing door-to-door teams as well. That's another yeah, way to yeah, go.
1: Motivating them, keeping them, you know, accountable, having metrics. Like you could easily track all of that. Did you ever use Strava, the, the fitness app, to track your team? No, I never did. No? That's no, one thing I we recommend. It. Yeah, that's one thing we recommend is like then if you ever have a question about accountability, you got hours, you got location, you got start time, you got end time, all in a screenshot.
0: <laughs> Damn, that's actually, maybe I'll look into it next year
1: yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely but it works and it'll keep working yeah but but you can scale it up right you can have your marketing team your marketing team on your soldiers and then you can have a supervisor or two or three like you can scale it up just like any organization and if the metrics make sense it's actually funny how much you can afford to pay per lead in this model how much these marketers can make going door to door market
0: marketers make the most actually out of anyone a good marketer makes more per hour than almost everyone else uh, in the painting company
1: mm-hmm. yep because they're making
0: they're they're making a hundred dollars plus an hour if they're a good marketer
1: yeah two two estimates an hour, you know easily a hundred bucks, yeah, the economics yeah. definitely work so so you you knew that your door to door is gonna work um as yeah. the initial strategy, of course, you're doing other things as well, you're doing s e o you're doing google ads, you're doing facebook ads, you know what well, all you you want you're be doing at?
0: a pr- you got branded people like uniform staff. You've got sprinter vans that, with their fully wrapped vehicle. You've got door hangers, flyers going out, you've got the cold calling teams going out. Th- that's the marketing mix, the, the very simple marketing mix. You got a professional website that's on brand. Everything cohesively matches itself.
1: Yeah. And, and you know and, and,
0: and like you said, I you know the one tactic alone without anything else is gonna work for sure.
1: How was that first year in business?
0: Uh, expensive. <laughs> Cause I, because I was so focused on writing systems. So I was very non-operationally oriented. I was like, I'm writing the operations manual. I wrote like a 650-page operations manual in year one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that outlined how to do everything in your business.
0: Everything. So there's there's an... There's a playbook for sales. There's a playbook for marketing. There's a playbook for financials and bookkeeping, how we do our charts of account. There's a playbook for um, yeah, operations. There's a playbook for recruitment. Would you say that your team is pretty good at following the playbook? Sometimes. I mean, <laughs> it depends. That's part of the challenge. But yeah,
1: it it comes down to the owner, like them sticking to it. Why did you feel that spending so much time writing this 650 page operations manual was more important than operating a more profitable business year one? Because I don't
0: care I didn't need I didn't care about year one profits. I was like what is if what's it, if it's going to go into a franchise and have like 10 20 franchises, the sooner I have a playbook for everything to be able to scale in that way. And then as well, writing the business plan, like the actual Excel system, like our whole business planning tracking system, that took me a long time as well. And like a really good job cost card tracking system Mm -hmm. um, and payroll systems, like just doing all that properly is like, I was just like, what will this look like if there's other managers and say, I'm going to have like five to 10 people, like franchisees I coach. I want to be able to coach each of them in one hour and everything else is just done for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you, you went in, this is an important point, I think you went into your business with a specific goal in mind. So you had a vision, you had like a five-year vision and you made decisions based on that vision. Cause if you just went in to open your business to, to make as much money as you could, to grow your business, you know, as quickly as you could, you'd have probably been like balls to the wall all year producing work as hard as you could, right? You probably would have done twice as much production, but in in year
0: one, in, in year one. Sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: In yeah, year one, but you said I want to franchise this thing. So, what's more important right now—a little bit more production or creating the system that I need to hit this vision?
0: Yes. Yeah, so it's the implementation. So my implementations in year one were were very low on the operational front. It was more like uh, by the end of this year, all the employment agreements are like dialed. The business plans the has been dialed. Um, our CRM system is set up properly. Those were the implementations. It wasn't like so much, we need to hit this revenue and get this profit. Yeah. I, think, I think my goal in year one was negative $10,000 profit. That was my yeah. goal.
1: It's, that's the definition of reinvesting everything back into the business. Yeah. And then
0: today we're profitable and the net profits get reinvested in other assets
1: outside of yeah. the painting business. Okay. That's awesome. So you get through year one, um, you're net negative, but you have all of these systems built, right? You have your branding, you have jobs yeah. cruising. Um, tell Which me about was, the next oh, go next ahead few years. How did you how did you find operators and how did you choose locations? Or basically, how did you turn one location into a franchise with multiple locations? Well, to be
0: honest, the first location was Vancouver, and I was living in Vancouver, and yeah, then I and then I moved to Squamish. <laughs> Okay. So then Vancouver, I, I spent a, like whatever, 18 months developing that franchise. So there was already like brand awareness. There was already a Google review account with some good stuff in there. Uh, and then I just, and, and it was through friends to start so far. And that's where we are. It's the company's only, we're year four right now. Yeah. So this started in COVID. 2020 is when I like first sat down and COVID had just started. And I was, I got home from climbing and I was like, Oh, like, I got to stay home. <laughs> <Do new. laughs> so I was, that's when it started. It's pretty new, relatively.
1: Yeah. So it's like March or April 2020. And you're like, let's get it started. So then you move to Squamish, and you're like, let's build territory number two in Squamish.
0: Exactly. And then Jesse, who you know, was like, hey, I'll take another, let's do another one in Surrey. And I was like, sure. Here's the entire system. Go go, run with it. And, and then last year, I had the franchise... The franchise agreement drafted, which was a process because that yeah. takes a long time to write those. So now I'd say the company is franchise ready is where we're at. It's, I've, I've tested a couple of franchises, tested the models. It's franchise ready. And now I'm in the stage where it's like, do I want to scale this? And I actually don't know for sure. Yeah, I, I could just keep it as a small million dollar in a bit business. Or I could scale and I'm franchise ready to do so with a franchise agreements and a full operations manual ready to go. Uh, and I tend to work that way. It's like I want, I feel into things uh, yeah. as I've gotten, as I've gotten older, what feels good in, that's what I believe it's really about is do you, you have to feel good about your life.
1: Totally. Yeah. And you have to really believe in what you're doing and know what's for the best. So, I mean, I have a, a suggestion. Maybe you've thought of it, maybe you haven't, but like, what if with this, with this franchising aspect of it, what if you go find and hire just like an experienced ceo could to start yep. running it and then you just you just act as the advisor you know you have the profits coming in invest 150 200 a year in a ceo you i totally could go that way that's yeah these are all lots lots of
0: options I'm, I'm in a place in my life now where there's a lot of options yeah which which actually I'm, I'm
1: learning this can be a little bit stressful have you talked to john evans at all i have not you should because he's, you know, as you know, uh, Everline, right? They've gone mm. from, I think they were at 16 locations last year and now they're at 96 locations this year. So Everline Codings. Yeah, they went full speed ahead. Um, John's college pro guy. And he, so they're at like yeah, almost 100 locations in less than, you know, whatever, a few, couple years expanding. So I'm sure he could give you the pros and the cons of, expanding franchises like that like it's uh it's i've talked to him a few times about it and like it's it's full on (laughs) it's full on and i i think that's part of where
0: i'm at in my life too is am i ready for that next stage yeah um we talked about it a little bit but like i've used this period of my life getting the freedom i had to really start exploring the world and exploring Mm -hmm. other parts of myself outside of business um I have another company, which is called Foundations, where we do a lot of ceremonial work and retreats all over the place and around the world. And that's been a big part of my journey, too, is like just discovering what do I really want to do? And yeah. it, painting's always been this beautiful backbone like because it's so simple. <laughs> it's yeah. so, like, dependable. It's basically super dependable. And then
1: I guess the, the, the decision for your life now, and it doesn't have to be, a, you know, a dichotomy like one or the other um it's it's not <laughs> like, do you want to grow and continue following your spiritual journey or the financial journey both i mean yeah. they're they're not
0: they're not independent of each other right like if i've learned anything from the spiritual journey is that it's one big world it's one thing so it's really about what do you get jo- what drives joy for you what are you really excited about what do you love um, and being able to connect to that on an emotional level um, not just intellectualize the whole thing, because especially for myself, but I think a lot of business people, we have we're intellectually stimulated to want more or to want to grow our idea of how much we have or our net worth these kinds of terms can be very misleading. And it can put people on a chase where you're um, you're trying to become more from a place of like basically scarcity sometimes, right? More is going to be better, and it doesn't always work that way. Right, you got to
1: find what's comfortable for you and the the life that you want to create for yourself.
0: Yeah, and you need space to do it, and that is a big theme that happened a few years ago. Is like I really started creating space in my life where the next it wasn't just hit a goal and then the next goal will take me and just so on and so forth. I had to really make space to like stop doing things because as an action oriented person. There's always this inclination. I got to take action, take action again, take action again. And I never would create space to actually like feel into what I want or what I'm actually struggling with.
1: Mm-hmm. And that means that you have to
0: say no. You have to say no. And you need to take space. And if you're a painting, if you're, this, is, this is a painting podcast. One of the things you have as a painter is you can make all your money in about seven to eight months. And then you can take some serious space to do deep personal work, or just go travel, or do whatever you want. And I've been doing that for over a decade. Like I'm leaving. I was. I was telling you earlier, but I'm leaving for Nepal for two months in a week. With I mean, just to, just to go t- trek and do mountain do mountaineering work and do personal work.
1: So cr- crazy fortunate you know, position to be able to, you know, have yourself set up your, your, your personal life, your financial life, really your family life, everything set up so that you can actually go do that. Like that sounds like a great adventure. It'd be unforgettable. And it's doable. Yeah, we can do that. Right? Yeah. You can do that as a, as a painter, which is crazy, right? As a painting contractor, someone who owns a painting business, you can take this type of leave. But it's so foreign to most people who are just so stuck in the grind, stuck in the day to day, not thinking systems orientation. Yeah. Systems orientation helps. <laughs> yeah. So let's just speak on that to the, to the people listening who are stuck in that. Maybe they're feeling demotivated. Maybe they're like, "Damn, this guy's not like me. I can't do this. Um, as Someone, you know, coming from the painting world, how would you recommend someone take some steps towards putting their business into a place that they can eventually strive to, you know, a life like that? What one
0: system at a time, like uh, you build like right now, I'm literally before this call building out a system uh, to do fundamental analysis on stocks where I can just input numbers and it'll give me the correct uh, purchase value. so that that's that takes me like that's it's been it's taken me twenty hours to make this one system, but it'll serve me it'll save me so much time on buying stocks for the rest of my life. So that's one system for financials. Like become a systems builder. And just start, learn how to enjoy the process of building systems
1: one at a time. I think the hard thing that people struggle with, everyone's struggle, I struggle with it for sure, is like, oh, it's just easier for me to do it than create a system and teach someone else to do it, right? It'll just take, it'll just take me a minute. Like, it won't take me long. I'll just go pick up the check. And it's easy for me to do it. I like doing it too. But like, it's, it's that mindset of like, oh, I can actually do it. Well, you should get someone else to do it. You shouldn't be doing any of that stuff
0: yeah um i mean the the system is the thing that'll prevent you from being allowed to do it even you're not allowed like i when i wrote employment agreements i also wrote an employment agreement for myself what's my job my job is actually building systems if you're the ceo of your business your job is to build the business so it's not in your accountabilities and just and deliverables to to do various things like that's if it's not in your role then it's not your job, basically.
1: Yeah. You have to develop systems and develop people to be able to get a business that serves you. Yeah. And that'll all just be listed out in their employment agreements. This yeah. is your, this is
0: what you're de- responsible for delivering. Here's the accountabilities that'll help you achieve these deliverables. And
1: then you just manage and coach based on that. Yeah. And scorecards are so important. Yeah. Um, I had a client uh, a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago on a call, and they were saying... Um, their painters keep leaving touch-ups. And so he's running around doing touch-ups for his painters all the time before he can close out the job. He's like, oh, should I just hire someone, a full-time person to be the touch-up guy? No. Nope. Like, Absolutely not. <laughs> you should teach your painters to do their job because they're slacking and you're giving them grace and you're giving them the uh, permission to not finish their job by doing this for them. You're holding their hands. Yeah, and
0: you, the job's not closed. So they can't actually move on to the next job, and in the short term, I see why people do it because I used to do it too. When I was quite, when I was younger, I'd do that as well. I'd go maybe do the touch-ups, but now I'll just be like, "Let me know when the job's done," and then they'll go waste time doing all of that. It affects the productivity rate, and then we'll have a coaching call based on productivity. Yeah. So say yeah, say the say the house is budgeted for 100 hours. They finish it in 90 hours and then they had 20 hours of touch ups. It's fine. Okay. Well then now you guys are over budget by 10%. So yeah, and how, also you
1: you've wasted 2 days by not being able to go to the next project.
0: Yeah. So but you have to let that pain be felt by the people not like if you yeah, you're basically robbing them from the lesson if you going to do the touch
1: ups. Yeah, it's it, it might feel like the path of the least resistance, but it's long term, even medium term, it's going to be a lot more resistance to go that route.
0: Yeah. And that's what that's if you have internal painters. Like uh, another an example the other example would be for anyone who's if you're using subcontractors, which I've learned how to use that model as well. They both work. But subcontracting is very simple because they just invoice you when the job's done. That's it. So if they're like, oh yeah, I sent you the invoice like awesome. Um as soon as the job's done I'll pay it that's it like it's simple then they'll go finish it like oh yeah there's a few touch-ups go do it take care of it just let me know when you're done
1: yeah so how did you you know what types of responsibilities do you have your painters do versus foreman versus uh production manager like if you started just the painter level uh, above and beyond just painting what other responsibilities do you have your painters do
0: painters really the responsibility is just productivity and quality like so they have to know how to do the there's actually like the skills of painting that's pretty much it though is how do you and and then a little bit around job planning how do you work how do you make a job plan but that's all worked with the job site manager it's mostly the job site manager who's responsible for yeah and job site planning is really just part of productivity you're responsible for productivity and quality
1: and then what does a job site manager do above and beyond painting? Um nothing. They manage profitable jobs. Do they pick up the check? Yep. Do they do the walk yep. around? Yep. Make Inspection,
0: w- walk around, uh, Google review. And if you get the Google reviews, you get there's a bonus. Everyone gets a bonus.
1: And there's a little yeah. SO
0: little one page SOP asking for the review. Yeah.
1: And is that is that pretty adhered to?
0: I mean, Yes, it it is because they do get a good bonus. It's like I think it's two hundred dollar, two hundred fifty dollar bonus per Google review. Wow, that's generous. It's generous. Um, so it makes it worthwhile to want it, right? Yeah. You'll do same with subcontractors. Same deal. It's it's almost exact. It's almost identical. Everything's identical. Actually, the SOPs don't change between subcontractors or painters. The only difference is the invoicing system.
1: Yeah, I was speaking to um a uh, you know a new friend of mine who runs a eight million dollar year painting business down south in the States and um she runs fully subcontractor model but treats her subs like members of her family, like her team. And yeah. it's you know it's not necessarily the homeowners uh <laughs> uh business to um to know what type of government relationship you have with your painters. Right? No, it does not. It yeah, it's like you are responsible for the It's just, it's the just your team. It's just your yeah. team. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Like sometimes
0: I've I've had painters work on like I don't do it very often anymore, but like I've had subcontractor who wants to get paid an hourly thing. I don't really do this anymore, but subcontractors who work with pay my painters. They're working on the same job together except one's on payroll, one invoices at the end of the job based on their hours. Yeah. So it's just your team. It's not like, hey, this is my painting team and this guy's a sub. To the customer what they're not gonna it's not doesn't matter no it's at the end your, of the day
1: they're buying a paint job from you and you're going to deliver on it in the best way you know how yeah and it's just people a bunch of people yeah so when it <laughs> comes to you know doing doing like what's like following um you know being motivated for something following your heart doing the best that you can for the world do you feel like you growing your painting business is fundamentally better for the country, better for the painting community than you not growing your painting business and leaving the industry as is. Um I don't think I feel like a,
0: with particularly with my painting business, I don't think I feel a particular like I'm really make making a big difference in that way. I know that bec- from just feedback, I know that me being in the industry definitely helps professionalize things. It's part of the reason why subcontractors like to work with me because of just the basic organizational skills. If you're organized and good at business, you can just do the basic things well. And that does increase the standard of the industry. But I think I do more good in general by using some, by creating a lot of freedom in my life so that I can do, do good things.
1: That's fair. I get that. Because um, if you have like, you know, if you truly 100% believe in what you're doing, you think it's the best thing that, you know, everyone should have it, then you almost feel that like moral obligation, you have to grow this thing. Like if, if you knew that your business was getting customers 10 times better, you know, painting outcomes or experiences than they would get from any anyone else in the industry, you'd feel that moral obligation to to scale as quickly as possible to get that message out to as many people.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's two. It, there's two parts to it. It's like I feel a more. There's an obligation. Painting creates a lot of freedom, so that I can do a lot of things for free. Actually, in my community, I do a lot of events in in Squamish in the forest and stuff, and all of it's just for free because I can. Mm-hmm. Right, and that that that's created through an asset like painting, which is just a it's it's a fundamental service of our country. Like I used to have a lot of judgment against a lot of this stuff when I was early in like my spiritual journey, I guess. But at the end of the day, like our whole country is just houses and real estate. And we all want a house that with a roof over our head, these houses need to be maintained. And I feel very good about that. Like I want to have a house with a roof on my head. Yeah. These houses, the best thing you can do is take care of them because they're fricking expensive to build. Painting is just a fundamental service. It's, 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 a, it's an essential service.
1: Yeah. You maintain, There's- you maintain the homes, be part of the economy Create jobs for people, create income yeah. for other people. Straight up, you,
0: you're you're servicing an essential an essential need for our real estate market, which is, or for our whole infrastructure of our country.
1: Yeah, it's like I a multi-billion-dollar industry. <laughs> what I would challenge people to think about in their own businesses, as a result of this conversation, is how can you decouple your identity from being a painter to becoming a business owner and looking at your painting company as a vehicle to generate retained earnings to generate income rather than a vehicle to paint homes. Yeah, I I would say that's, that's accurate. It's
0: both, right? Like I don't identify as a painter, but like, uh, it's an asset. It's like buying any, like you can own stock in construction companies. Well,
1: you, you identify as an entrepreneur.
0: I guess so. Yeah. Um, part of my identity would be entrepreneurship, I suppose. Yeah. part.
1: yeah, uh,
0: yeah. And do do a lot of people you work with um are, are they painters? They're like painters trying to step into the entrepreneurial hat. Is that a lot of the So we
1: have both, right? We definitely have the guys who come in as painters. You know, maybe they've hired a few few other painters before. Maybe they're just getting started. Maybe they've scaled up to to three or four crews. Um, but most people, I would say 70, 80% of our clients and listeners at at, at one point or currently are actual painters right yeah and we do have the people who came from the student painting world they who came from you know business world who bought franchises and came in that route um a lot of the time they're different conversations right because because those people when a problem shows up in their business they can't run to the brush and save the day right so they need to think with people they need to think with systems but the painter who's been you know just hired his first three painters and now they're starting to do some production and there's a problem on site there's they, they go save the day it's counter counterproductive yeah. okay well th- i mean for anyone that's listening
0: in the that is coming from that painter world to give some context that's useful uh i i literally was a house painter for I, I think three years i ran a crew like i was the job site manager and i had a crew of usually two so it would be me and two others and i this is i was pretty young but i loved it like i loved crushing the budgets we used to get a budget productivity system if you beat the budget you get a bonus based on the productivity and i prided myself on being the best painter for like a quite for those few few years so i did i did have that persona and i would solve the problems um 10 years ago by going and i'd fix it um but i guess the identity slowly transitioned now i'm just especially once i actually started hiring professional painters like I, i can't actually do it i can't actually i'm not a professional painter yeah I'm just not, I I actually, I'm like a very amateur, I can move fast. That's one of the things even now, but I'm good with ladders and I can move fast, but I'm not a professional painter. Like I can't do a, the job that I recruit for or that I sell. Yeah. So I, I actually can't solve it anymore.
1: And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, as long as you have the ability within your organization to solve that problem, there's nothing wrong with it, with, with selling a project like that that you can't personally do. And the nice
0: thing about painting industry is that there are professional painters all over the place. Mm-hmm. You you don't even like, you actually don't even really need to do much of training because they're already professional painters. They just need to be recruited with a good recruiting system.
1: Yep. yep. They, they're yeah, They're already, tra- they've been doing it 20 years, 30 years. <laughs> they just don't guys. have the systems or they don't know how to get their own work or they don't know how to talk to customers. Or they don't have paperwork. They don't have any of that, you know, professional painter you know is and they don't that. want to do any of it yeah they don't want to yeah not everyone wants to do that that's totally no, fine that's fine <laughs> not for everybody that's called a win win yeah exactly being a being a business owner and being an entrepreneur is not for everyone if it was easy everybody would do it right but it's not easy and uh, I think what is it 10% of people uh, want to be entrepreneurs or have the entrepreneurial drive only 10%? I, th- I think it's 10%. Maybe it's 10%. Um, I think I saw a stat. There was like 300 or th- uh, 3 million small businesses in the United States. So I think I just extrapolated that. That's you know 10% of the population are small right. business owners. But it would probably be a little bit higher than that because that not everyone is like an adult who can have a small business. Right. Yeah. So maybe it is closer to like 20%, which is pretty high. It's pretty solid. Yeah. So yeah. I, was, uh, I was talking to a client uh, today, actually, on a call, um, on a group call, and he, is, he has tons of work coming in, but he's, he's, he's just solo right now. He, he's ran, he's ran crews before with another company, but now he's just solo on his own, and uh, he can't get out of the rat race. He's just producing, and he can't hire. He feels like he doesn't have money enough money to hire somebody, even though he's booked out for six weeks and painting eight hours a day. What type of advice okay. would you give to to him um, well uh, he's, he's if he doesn't have
0: money it's either just in his head or he uh isn't pricing correct. he has he, is, he hasn't actually go, he, he doesn't have a system for his pricing that that works it out properly so your pricing um, or your estimate system so, sorry uh prices that all in so your estimate system has to price in a professional painter to take care of the job. What's your hourly charge rate, Brad? Right now, I'd say it's probably 90 to 95. Yeah. That's and welcome. I'd say that a professional painter is going to require $35 an hour. Yeah. 30 to $35 an hour, which puts you at about a 38% labor price.
1: Yeah, that's right in the pocket.
0: Yeah. And then you got... Yeah, that's it. That's the then you got another ten percent for paint, putting your gross profit at fifty percent.
1: Yeah, so gross profit should be fifty percent. So step number one, look at your margin, see if you're making. I mean, with a paint being the only painter, um, the gross margin should you you should get that thirty eight percent. So your your gross margin to be like eighty five percent, right? If you're painting.
0: If you're painting, then yeah, your gross margin is now eighty seven percent.
1: Yeah. So 87% gross margin, which is great, or, which means or 88. <laughs> yeah, which means there should be cash left over.
0: Yeah, so it's a mindset thing. It's just uh I think what discount painters will come in, right? They one thing is that like there's not that many of them cuz they don't survive over over a long time, but people that come in and underbid you with pricing that you can't compete with, it's because they are basically cutting out their company's profit. So they pay themselves like the labor wage, that yep. 38%, let's say, and then they cut out the company's profit. So the, so the company doesn't earn anything. So would, maybe so if if you're they're the,
1: 25, 30 bucks an hour and that's it. Or even if it's 40
0: bucks an hour, at the end of the day though, like if you're the CEO of your own business, you would get yourself would fire yourself because now your company is not earning any money because of the decisions you're making.
1: Mm-hmm. I totally get how frustrating it would be to compete against those people. If you were not... If you're not set up with systems and you're not presenting yourself as a professional painting contractor and you're providing a price that a professional painting contractor is charging. So you're charging like, say you are, say 80 to $90 an hour charge rate. Yeah. Um, and you're not doing it professionally and you're bidding against people with a owner operator mentality, 40 to $50 an hour charge rate. You're going to lose that bid 10 times out of 10. If Who's going to lose the bid? The guy that's over that's more expensive. The guy that's more expensive if you're not
0: presenting yourself professionally. Yeah, you have to you you have to match your professionalism has to match the the price, and you will lose some of them. But those guys that are under bidding also don't have a marketing budget. Generally, they aren't no they don't. No one knows who they are. Um, you can. It's pretty easy to test this stuff if you're in a marketplace. You. You know, we say go door to door. I think one of the first things I did when I got to Squamish was I went door to door and I just asked, um, it was just market research. I said, who are the local, could you name the top two local painting companies? And literally nobody in the market knew anyone, zero. (laughs) Like It's like they couldn't name one company that paints houses locally. And it didn't mean that there wasn't any companies because I look it up on Google. I'm like, there's painting companies here, but the homeowners don't know who they are why is that it's because they don't have a marketing budget they're not flyering they don't have wrapped vehicles they don't have cold colors yeah,
1: yeah same with shaven no, Shack- one, no yeah. one's front of mind front and center
0: so there's thousands of competitors and yet there's no one competing it's very strange
1: yeah it is right? a strange it's like, it is a strange market like the in the united states the top company the biggest company in the whole country of in painting has i think a three percent market share I think that's they sort know. of pro. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's that's it. It's not that much. It's fragmented. It's very fragmented. And that was the entire market opportunity when we started Shackshine, the house detailing company. There's thousands of people that have a power washer and homeowners couldn't name one, not even one. Yeah. So who, who's the local power washing company? It's Shackshine.
1: That's the only one they know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they'll call them anytime something goes wrong. It was like the, you know, back to the Brian Scudamore days of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Who's going to clear junk like you go on Craigslist, go on Kijiji, you can find someone or you can call 1-800-GOT-JUNK and someone, a professional person is going to come to your door with a professional looking truck.
0: Yeah, and to give context, I guess, for the audience watching, the company that bought Shack Shine, which is the company I started and invested in, uh, was 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And their whole... The the,
1: the parent company of 1-800-GOT-JUNK
0: the parent company of one I Heard got drunk which is called o2e, O2E and O2E, O2E, o2e stands for ordinary to exceptional they take ordinary services and make the experience and brand exceptional
1: do they also do wow one day uh they do yeah yeah This, i mean really cool spins on just like basic industries Um, and of course everyone here will have an opinion on wow one day but i haven't heard the feedback
0: that, lately Dude, what do you think of them <laughs>
1: I mean, regardless of, so that doesn't matter what I think of them, but what, what does matter is that everyone knows who they are and everyone thinks of them. Everyone does think of them. I think they do like 30 or 40 million a year, at least. Right. They're big. And, um, you know, even if you don't like the business model, if you think that, Oh, there needs to be a proper dry coat, dry times and recoat times and all this stuff, they're crushing it. And if they weren't crushing it, if they weren't providing great customer results, they wouldn't be in business anymore. So, (laughs) you know, you got to poo poo on the haters kind of hundred percent. I agree. It's yeah. uh, they've, they're doing, they've done something interesting, something cool. Well, ultimately the market will decide your value. And that's if right. you, if you aren't providing value over long-term and you just have a really great sales and marketing engine, well, that's going to fizzle out pretty quick as soon as you let your foot off the gas. But if you do have something great and you can provide a great product, great customer experience, people remember you, you'll eventually be able to let off on the sales and marketing machine and it will continue to grow.
0: Well, I don't think you ever should let off on that marketing machine, but uh, you're right. Yeah, it slowly transitions to like a little bit higher word of mouth, and and you can track all this stuff year to year using a good CRM. Yeah, right at the end of the year, you can look at your CRM to see what uh, what where each lead came from, or which booked job came from, and you can just divide out the math to figure out your ROI on each marketing channel. And obviously, word of mouth is free, right? Like, yeah, you do a good. It's in the operations. It's built in.
1: Yeah, I have a I actually have a client who does that who who tracks the you know cost per lead from every source, uh, how many leads they get from every source, how many estimates, their closing rate from each source, their lead to estimate ratio from every source, and their average job size from every source, as well as return on investment. And once you have your numbers, once you know your data and know the metrics, making decisions becomes so much easier. Way easier. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I don't think you should track all of those things because there's that too many,
0: too many KPIs that it makes it. There's too many things, but it's if you can have a system that automatically does that all for you, then that's a good thing.
1: The, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of the it needs to be, it needs to be fairly automatic, at least from your perspective, or if you have like an assistant who does it for you, like a system doesn't have to be automated. It can be just someone else doing something for you <laughs> consistently. <laughs> Yeah. And I think everyone should know the basics of how to do those calculations because they're not
0: that hard. And you can do it once every six months. You don't really have yeah. to do it all the time. But like take, yeah, however however many how much work you booked from one source and then divide it by how much you spent on that source. It'll give you the exact percentage of marketing for that to, to buy that business.
1: So what's the, what's the next big decision in your life? You're kind of alluding to it a bit earlier. Do you scale the painting business? Do you just go full on? You're going, you're going on a, on a two week, two week or two month. I'll be gone probably for uh, two or three months. Okay. No return ticket booked yet. Uh, No. Okay. So you're going for um, a quarter to a third of a year. Um, Or is two or three or three or four? Sorry? I'm
0: a, I really don't know yet. Okay. So a little while. You're so going so for a little while. I'm going for a little while and I don't have any uh initiatives that have to get built for Colorcraft to be, for this uh like there's nothing so, that urgently needs to get built, it's just an operating business at this point. And so that that kind of frees me up is my job of building is not uh unless I make up another initiative, which should probably be like launching franchises, that's a huge yeah. initiative but I'm not, haven't made that decision yet. So I don't have a, I don't have a job, which is have you funny.
1: read, uh, you probably <laughs> haven't. Yeah. Have you read Elon's, uh, new biography?
0: Oh no. I wish. Did you?
1: Yeah. I listened to it in like a week. It's really great. Oh, but man. I think one of the things that like, it's, it's funny the the difference, like when, when he, when he hits a certain level in his business and like everything is smooth sailing for a little bit and calm, he creates chaos like everything was smooth for him this one time. And he got to like his his starship that one night at like two in the morning. And there was only two people working there. And he's like, what the hell is going on? Like, we need to get this thing in the orbit. Like, let's, I want to, I want 200 people here tomorrow. And he just like causes chaos, right? Everything's good in his life. Then he buys Twitter. Right. So interesting. He, and he, he's aware of this pattern. He's aware of this pattern. He says he's a He's addicted to chaos. He cannot he cannot relish in the his successes. He needs to go to the next thing. He looks at it like a video game. He always needs to hit to hit the next level. Right. So okay. Yeah. So
0: I, I'm gonna uh interject, I guess, with a part a part that pattern, that chaos, the need for for the need for chaos. So I, I would I would say I have that in part like Not having goals, I learned this about myself. When I didn't have goals, it actually made me anxious. So there's people in the world who suck at taking action and getting shit done. So their life challenge is actually that they need to learn how to set a goal and then uh, then execute. That's that's a life challenge. Some people, like Elon Musk or myself um, to a way lesser degree... I'm not, I don't struggle with setting and hitting a goal. What I actually struggle with is being peaceful and content. So when I don't have goals, I actually get anxious. And that, so that's, I actually started to look at that pattern within myself. And that's more of a personal journey is why can't I be content in my life? Why do I always have to have something that I'm reaching for outside myself? And that was, that's a big part of a theme of my own spiritual journey was starting to really dig into this and like learn about this, uh, this disharmony within myself.
1: So when you I say that about that, Elon Musk, I call that the entrepreneur's curse. I've talked about it a lot, and I call I, I define that as the constant state of disappointment with yourself and your business, regardless of how well it's doing.
0: But then you don't have choice. That's the issue with it. Is if you don't actually start to look at that pattern within yourself and and learn how to and to bring harmony to it, you don't actually have choice. And I want to have choice in my life. I want to build things because I want to, because I love it, not because I have to, because of an in- insecurity within myself that I'm not enough. And, that, and honestly, a lot of what I've created in my life has come from an insecurity that I'm not, I need to do more. I've, I've got to perform. And if I stop performing, I, I'm not enough. And that takes re- deep reflection. And that's why, I'm going, that's why I do things like go to Nepal, <laughs> like go walk around for some months to, to look at myself
1: yeah, I like how you called it. you're gonna go for a big walk. I'm going for a very big walk. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, I think that's a excellent time excellent spot to wrap up today, man. Um, <laughs> we didn't even get into like a quarter of what I wanted to talk about, but I thought that was a pretty good discussion. what What, what were the things we wanted to talk about? Well, I think, I, no, at the start we talked about uh, you know I wanted, I wanted to hear more about like your your spiritual and your psychedelic journey and how that's impacted your business. Uh, decisions. But let's save that for another episode so we can dedicate a full hour to that because I want to get into it. And I think if we do that, when you get back from Nepal, um, I think you're gonna have a whole bunch of new things to share as well.
0: Yeah, if I could say one thing about that, I think psychedelics and plant medicines and stuff uh, has taught me to make space for myself to reflect on the nature of my life and the nature of creation so that I can make better decisions in business and act from a place of love and not scarcity. Make sure that I'm making decisions out of true passion and love, not just scarcity and not being enough. And that's something I learned from medicines, plant medicines.
1: Yeah. And I think that once you, once you make that shift, you'll not only be happier in business, but um, you'll, you'll run a better business too. So care about what you're doing more. You'll be, yeah, you'll be
0: happier. If you're happier, it's better for your employees. It's better for your customers. It's better for everyone.
1: Yeah. Well, um, even though you're heading off, um, let's do a, a 30 second plug. You're not really selling anything, but like, how can people learn more about, um, what you're doing in, in the world of spirituality? Uh, you can go check out foundations.com. It's foundations
0: spelled with a Z at the end. Dot com. Okay. And, and uh, that's a Z that's...
1: for Americans.
0: <laughs> yeah. F so foundations is a and the Z at a Z instead of an S, uh, okay. And there's offerings on there. Um, I do some business coaching, personal coaching, and then ColorCraft is the franchise painting business. Well, awesome. Early stage, but it's a it's my painting company.
1: Awesome. So if you're in uh if you're in Kelowna or uh, Western Canada or Seattle, <laughs> you know, hit hit brought up. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's been nice having on, coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for coming and enjoy your big walk. And uh, are you gonna be at the at the thing next weekend? Am I gonna see you? I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to make it yet, but uh, I might be there, yeah. Okay, well, hopefully uh, see you in person for the first time in a few years. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. See you later, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Painter Growth Podcast. If you want to grow your painting business, go to www.paintergrowth.com or click on the top link in the description. Talk soon.